I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Man Bites Pod. It is I, the Baron, Baron von Banyard, MD, the Baron of Down Below, let it be known. And I'm joined by two. Thank you. Thank you there, Commander. Please introduce yourself. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's the Commander We, uh, all in your motherfucking Mm -hmm. business. Uh, And I'm also joined via satellite by... The Reverend Terry Goddamn. And, uh, you know, I have not been officially ordained by any denomination in any religion but i'm gonna tell you what's what anyway so let's make this shit a religion we're gonna talk about some films and it's gene's week he's gonna fucking take this shit off with his pick of audition yes it's audition by the great takishi miike uh audition japan 1999 release okay this film i chose because uh it is one of the finest if not the finest examples of art house horror baron von banyan uh, the, the Reverend Terry and I are B-splatter movie enthusiasts and mm-hmm. hounds mm-hmm. and experts, if you will. But could you please define, like, I'm into this art house business, but I don't know what makes an art house film. Can you define that properly? Or Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Uh, an art film or an art house horror film, an art film that works within the genre of horror. Yeah, remember that word genre when you're talking about Miike as well, because this guy is a genre master. For audition, he focuses on horror, but it's not a splatter fest. It's not even fast paced. Yeah, um, this is a slow burn. Yeah, and it depicts Takeshi Miike's idea of a certain type of reality, just like our man Herschel Gordon Lewis did back in the 60s. Again, that term I used before is verisimilitude. A certain likeness, a certain realism for a certain type of audience, yeah? Um, so this is a very artistic film. When you watch it, you just automatically react, well, that was a great artistic shot, yeah? So it, right. it has that automatic recognition to it when you watch it, but what does that exactly mean? An art mm. film is typically a serious independently produced film aimed at a wide market, sorry, a niche market rather than a mass market audience. Experimentation lies at the heart of art films and a compulsion uh, to work against standard economic terms. They are, so commercial terms, yeah, um, things that make commercial movies popular, i.e. explosion superheroes for today. They are made uh, for aesthetic reasons rather than commercial profit. Uh, Aesthetic means art for art's sake, yeah? If you wanted just a quick, like, um, quick, easy takeaway, uh, what's the word term for it? Uh, Tagline for art house films, be they horror or not, art for art's sake. This is why I'm curious about this, because to me, it seems like everything Herschel Gordon Lewis, George Romero did in the 60s and early 70s was that it was 
purely what they wanted to fucking do. It was just yeah. their art. Is that an art house film then? I mean, it's not a good movie. Like most of Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies are not good movies, quote unquote, but they're <laughs> amazing. And they are just filled with splatter. And it's that's his idea of art. Does that make sense? So, okay, um, but the main intention, um, I think the Reverend will back me up here, the main intention behind making, the main motivation behind making uh, his films, Herschel Gordon Lewis, was for money, yeah? Right. wasn't for the art, that was for the money. This is for the art. Oh, yeah. was it? All right. Absolutely. Herschel's uh, exploiting the audience for their money more than anything else, is that he wants people to give him money so he's going to show whatever titties or splatter or anything that he can that's popular at the time for him to make money and fill those goddamn seats. A different director such as me, aka that's doing more of an artistic film, would they're looking at each shot in a specific arrangement. They got these backgrounds and they got these long narrow alleyways like the way that Kubrick does in The Shining and down an elevator shaft or whatever looking at two twins that that is more of a focus than the actual whore that you're getting out of it so it, it, and and like you said actually Kubrick's a good example because mm -hmm. Kubrick he was blockbuster but that guy was clearly more worried about what was happening on screen than the amount of money it cost or the amount of money it would make. So now, actually now, when you said Kubrick, now I'm with you. And I actually didn't know that, okay. that Lewis was trying to make money. You would think if he was trying to make money, he would have found a better racket in the movies because it would have been easier to do other hmm. shit. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, the Shining is a very good uh comparison to audition for the moment as well because the content of both of these films you could call both of them art films the content is always unconventional and highly symbolic um now another term i want to throw in before we get into audition is auteur a-u-t-e-u-r french fancy word for author specifically applied to film directors such as Stanley Kubrick. Um, who else could you say is an auteur? I would say Romero is an auteur as well, and certainly Nike as well. Uh, Stanley Kubrick took it to the extreme where he wanted control over all of the aspects of film production, from the writing to the editing to the casting, because, you know, he was a madman, a, a control freak, a genius, but a control freak. Takeshi Miike works with his crew, um, and creates an imprint, if you will, uh, of his style, of his crew style onto the film. So you automatically recognize, boom, whatever it is, it is a uh, Takeshi, Takeshi Miike film. Be it slow burn art house horror, manga extreme violence like Itchy the Killer, uh, epic traditional samurai film like 13 Assassins, yeah? Whatever type of genre it is, you go, boom, that is a Takeshi Miike film. I'll go and as we go on to Absolutely. the exact certain elements he puts in so you can read that when you see it. Um, and so Audition is an art house film done by an auteur. Does that set the scene? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with that. That was actually really good. I appreciate okay. that because this is not a joke. Like, I, this was not a setup. I talked to Gene beforehand uh, and I needed the Berman to break down exactly what art house was. I legitimately did not know. The commander was ill-informed. Now, I fucking know what we're dealing with here. Now, 1999, it came out in Japan. In 2001, it was released in America. So this is a little 20-year anniversary. 
Okay. Now it's based on a novel uh, written in 1997 by Ryu Murakami. Are you guys hip to this uh, author at all? Only because of this movie. Yeah. Um, he uh, his in the miso soup is apparently legendary in Japan and among fans who dig Brett Easton Ellis as well. Apparently, this guy is the Japanese Brett Brett Easton Ellis. Uh, that's okay. the guy who wrote American Psycho out there. Listeners, right. if you're not, yeah. Yeah, he so wrote he, uh, less than zero. Brett Easton Ellis is uh, known for American Psycho, but he's written some amazing books that have also become amazing movies. Like I said, Less Than Absolutely. Zero. American um, Psycho there, itself. Yeah, and American Psycho. There's a, there's another one. I, I Honestly, it's failing me. Son uh, of a bitch. That is the, the Rules of Attraction starring Yeah, Dawson. that's the one. Yes. Um, so, okay. so your so, man Rio is is on that level. That's, that's fucking brilliant. Yes, he probes deep and in a, a non-afraid way deep into Japanese society, as Miike does. Together, this is quite the pairing, so, you know, it's quite a bit of serendipity. Because they brought in, um, uh, what was the name of the company? The company was called the Omega Project, uh, O-M-E-G-A, Omega Project. Um, yeah. And they created the first Ring movie. Did really, They're really also well. known for... Uh... He's known specifically for working on The Grudge and The Grudge 2, like the actual Japanese versions, and then uh, which were Club. Which were both Mike, uh vehicles, weren't they? Weren't those both Takashi? No, they're Mike? not directed by Mieke, but he was involved with the writing of them, and he was involved with the writing of uh, Suicide Club, which is a different director as well, but he uh, he wrote that. Ryu wrote this. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, there, my man. Um, so the company put out Ring. They wanted uh, basically to jump on the bandwagon of the newly burgeoned uh, J-horror, Japanese horror with Ring. You could call that the inception, if you will. So they wanted to cash in the company. They saw that it was popular. Now they bring in Miike and Hideo Yamamoto. Uh, that's the uh, DOP, the director of photography that um, Miike had worked on before uh, with Imprint. Have you guys seen Imprint from the Masters of Horror series? Yes. Yeah, that was a early 2000s series that had multiple different directors, mm -hmm. uh, kind of almost an anthology type of thing back in the early 2000s. Yeah, it was really I loved awesome. It. Loved yeah. it. I yeah, was, it was actually thinking of uh, submitting one of those episodes as uh, something for a later episode because it was so goddamn good. Fantastic. Yeah, a lot a of those of are standalone, well. wonderful yeah, Wonderful. I mean, absolutely. they're only an hour long or whatever, but they're absolutely great. The and imprint is a masterpiece among all of those itself. Absolutely. Can can you see similarities just quickly with the artistic approach to imprint and audition? Sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Cool. 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 Um, now, so you've got the same uh, cameraman, director of photography for imprint for mm -hmm. audition. Yeah. So. You know, it's going to look good. It's going to look good. Okay, it's written by uh, Daisuke Tengen. Uh, now, Daisuke Tengen was also known for shit. One moment. And this is where my notes all over the place fail me, but I'll get back to that. He has also worked with uh, Miike in the past as well. Um, pretty much, I think, the only person that he uh, didn't work with before uh, was the, uh, the actress who played Asami. But I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Okay. That's correct. Um, that is correct. The only person that he hadn't worked with before was yes. was was the uh, quote unquote villain, which the villain, quote, yes. quote, like I'd say. <laughs> well, 
a femme fatale, as I think perhaps a term you could use for uh, the villain of this piece, well, the femme fatale of this piece, uh, Asami being the surname. This is played by Ihi Shina. Uh, she wasn't an actress when she came in. Nike never worked with her before. Uh, she was a model and uh, she was also a poet and a photographer, a bit of an artist, basically. Very attractive, obviously, you know, hence the model the modeling uh, work there. Um, she read the script and she really, really honed into the human relationship side, yeah, the examination of human relationships in Japan. Uh, and so she came on board. And also that is one of Miike's focuses as well. I think the focus of this film uh, is Japanese culture and also the relationship between the sexes how that's kind of a bit uh, lonely, shall we say. It's all very much a lonely affair, yeah? And Nike always wants to show that in whatever film uh, he is doing. That's his Japanese perspective that he always brings to his art, yeah? And right. this is a beautiful, strong example of it. Okay. Uh, oh, he touches, this notes. whole movie, this whole movie is just nothing but loneliness. Though every single- Oh, absolutely. Every frame he's touching on loneliness. Every goddamn one. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's just uh, let's set the scene. Yeah, let's get the synopsis out the way. Sure. Okay. What? Okay. Blah, 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 blah. What you have is a widowed a widowed father played by Ryo, Ryo Ishibashi, and he plays Shinge Haru Ayama. 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 Ayami? Oh, I thought it was Ayami. Ayami, I'm gonna stick with Ayami. There we go from right. here on in. <laughs> okay. Um, now he, um, so the, and he also has a young son as well. Uh, and that is his, uh, that is Shigehiko Ayami. And that is played by Tetsu Sawaki. I will not say those uh, names again, so commit them to memory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, movie starts off. You have the uh, you have young uh, Shigeho. Uh, these uh, sorry, I, I practice so hard as well. Shigehiko, uh, the young son in the hospital carrying flowers and such a little um, you know display of appreciation and love flower floral display for his mum who is dying in hospital. Yeah, uh, so it already starts off at a sad note, and now uh, the mother is uh, played by Mayuki Matsuda and the mother's name is Ryoko or Ayami, Ayami. Okay, and she's dying of, uh, I believe it's stage four cancer at the start of the film. And I was never clear was, on that. Like I, I never, I never did. I wasn't ever on a hundred percent clear on what she was dying of, just that she was dying. Did they say that she was cancer? Yeah, pretty damn sure. Pretty damn sure. Oh, okay. I can't say 100%. Yeah, I think they say it once. They move on from it really quick because I yeah, don't think do. he wants to make it an issue. And that's why you don't remember. It's mm. like literally he's just moving through it as a passing thought that he has this wife that fucking died and now he's right. all distraught. But he obviously moves along very well. Yeah, he does move along very well. Um, I say seven years later, I believe it is. He's fishing with his son as well. Son's, uh, you know, he's pulling in little fish. You know, he's quite good at it. But the dad wants to, he says anyway, that he wants to wait for the big fish, the big catch, yeah? That's very important for setting the scene from the, uh, from the outset. 
Okay. Okay. Now, basically, seven years or so later, basically, the kid's in college. Yeah, he's in about his 40s, the dad. And his son says to him, hey, you lonely, you lonely old prick. <laughs> I'm sick of, you know, I'm not your, not your maid here. You've got a housekeeper. Please get married. I don't... And, there's love from the start between the father and the son to speak seriously. There is love and that has been established and you know why there is that connection between them because they've looked after each other for all these years after the passing of the wife and the mother. Okay. Right. Um, so Iomi, father Iomi, uh, you know, thinks it over and he thinks, no, that is a good idea. It is about time I actually find love again. Um, but the search for love he is in despair of because he feels him and his friend, who is a movie producer, uh, and that is the character Yasuhisa Yoshikawa, played by Jun, uh, Jun Kunimura uh, of Kill Bill fame. Uh, now, he is a movie producer and he comes up with the quite ingenious, but if you read into it, quite a horrible idea of creating a, <laughs> a, an audition for a fake movie, a rom-com. But the actual role that is won at the end of it is not a movie role, it is the role as Aomi's wife. Yeah? Right. So seems innocent enough until you really have a until you really read into it. And then the interactions between the two friends here, between the two grown Japanese men, uh basically looking for the well-trained, obedient, polite, civil artist artistic and beautiful uh, wife. Yeah, the perfect Japanese female, if you will. Um, we can stop here and have a discussion about this because this audition scene takes up quite a bit of time. What did you guys yeah. think of this? I, yeah. I, I actually, I, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I get that, how you, could, how you could take that. I honestly maybe missed that. I think that I, maybe I sympathize too much with the character, but... It seemed like mm -hmm. he was. It seemed like he was legitimately looking for somebody. It seemed like, it, it, honestly, I felt like Iomi was pretty innocent in his pursuit. I'll be honest with you. I don't yeah, think that he okay, was just trying. He, he said out loud he wasn't just trying to bang broads. He's trying to. He was legitimately trying to find somebody that he cared about. Um, okay. Okay. I hear his you. man. His man wasn't though. Like his man that helped him do it was like on some. I do this shit all the time. Let's 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 fucking bang a bunch of bitches. It'll be great. But I think that Iomi was legitimately innocent in what he was trying to do. It was a goofy way to go about it, maybe. But yeah, I think it was innocent. Yeah, for sure. Different. He he seems very like naive to begin with. Like his buddy's all about it. His buddy's like, we're going to get you the top woman. Like we are going to audition every single woman we can get a hold of. We are going to get you the best wife ever. But you know, he personally seems very naive about it and like somewhat genuine. And at this time period, this early 2000s time period, they had a lot of bullshit like this on reality TV here in America we had The Bachelor and we had Rock of Love and fucking like, yeah. what, Flavor Flav of Love yeah. and all we this got stuff all where it was like, on. this was a possible yeah. thing at the time where there was literally auditions of 
who are you going to marry, you know? And I think Saki is really referencing yeah. a lot of that stuff at the time period. I mean, it didn't work out for America because eventually we uh, elected a reality TV show host for our goddamn <laughs> president. It did not okay. work out. So maybe Miyake yeah. knew that that no. was going to be a bad idea. I didn't elect that motherfucker. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. I never thought about the reality TV uh, parallel, but there certainly is one as well. And Starship Troopers is Mieke's favorite film. So he has American sensibilities behind him as well. And I will quickly right. shout out uh, the um, Horror Queers podcast under Blumhouse Network, where I listened. I got some info from as uh, well. They compared, I don't know if you've ever seen it, I haven't. Um, they compared the audition to the audition scene in Get Out, the cheerleading movie. Oh, that movie. Fu- no, not Get, Get Out. Out, bring it on. Jesus Christ, bring oh, it on. I haven't seen it. I have unfortunately um, not seen that film. Okay, well, it is that okay. Well, when you think about the audition scene as well, an audition there, you it almost goes through all 28 women before you see uh Asami at the end here, right? Um, and and it has it's it's very light hearted, a lot of it as well, a lot of it's very comical, but there are certain things that are said even before the audition by Ayami. Uh, oh, it's like buying a new car, female as property, yeah, yeah, um. And, and yes, sure. yep. And your movie, and the movie producer, old mate, he was more into it as well because he's done this a hundred times for movies. Yeah, um, he's used to objectification, yeah, or objectifying. Um, but the more Ayami sits next to him and gets into it, yeah, um, the more he plays the part, and the more he um, goes along in it, um, goes along with it as well. And when they're sitting, um, I think it's after the audition as well, when they're sitting at the cafe as well, that they're using. Japanese words for well-trained, obedient as well. These are not nice relationship, um, gender relationship words. That is true. That yeah, is yeah. true. I was, so I it's was subtle. It's subtle. Say, I was going to stop you and say that during the audition, your man uh, looks at Ayomi like he's out of his mind because Ayomi's talking to this girl like, I actually care about you and what you think and what you're about and you as a person and that and this motherfucker's looking at him like have you lost your fucking mind did you forget what we're doing here yes, like, you haven't yes. said anything to anybody but you're talking to this one you're talking to this one he's like well yeah this is the one i like motherfucker like and and then and then like but then you're right when they go to the cafe that language that language yeah. is fucking definitely telling Yes, yes. And um, and you've got to remember, Aomi came in with a specific criteria for the female that he wanted to choose as a wife. She has to play the piano. She has to have an artistic skill. You know, there was a criteria rather than accepting the individual. This is Miike. He places that, um, not even, a, not even a, uh, a microscope, like he sets up his camera. Uh, it's very voyeuristic. It's a wide shot and it just sits there. And it's that magnifying lens, if you will, or that eye that lends on Japanese culture and Japanese society. We've talked about loneliness. He's demonstrating that loneliness, that schism between male and female relationships through this audition. 
Yeah. Right. It's lighthearted. Um, it may seem like a bit of fun. Naomi seems like a genuine guy. And he's, and at this point, Mika is not saying misogynist or feminist. He is saying Japan. Right. Makes sense. It's from a male reading. Yeah. You can't get away from that, but that's what he's trying to do cin- cinematically. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, okay. So after the audition, Ah, yes, he uh, drops a, uh, how he finds um, Asami is he drops, it's a bit of a coincidence. It's a bit of a rom- romantic comedy movie coincidence with dropping the coffee on her resume amongst the other 30. Number 28 pulls it out. I think he's just playing on the cliches of romantic comedy with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree with he- that 100%. In the audition, he sees her in the waiting room and he automatically turns to her before she goes into the audition room as well because she is particularly still. This actress is very, very good at being still as well. She pulls attention to herself with uh, with doing barely anything. She's great at that. Um, and then she comes into the audition room and, as you said, their commander... All the other, you know, you know, have you ever done porn? What sort of partner are you looking for? It's like, oh, uh, you said when you had to give up ballet on your resume uh, that you felt that it was a uh, an inner death, a spiritual death. I'm paraphrasing, um, but it's the, a part of yourself uh, died, and you had to let it go to be able to carry on. Paraphrasing again, uh, but he said that really moved. And that shows maturity, depth, and intelligence. And I um, mean, that's when uh, the movie producer almost like, what, mate? <laughs> We're trying right. to find some, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they basically um, the next part of it is they go dating. Um, Asami lives in an empty apartment containing a sack and a phone. <laughs> she is waiting at this stage in this room. For Ayami, uh, the guy's cool. Yeah. Um, now this, there is. Um, this is the second shot where you feel something strange is going on. Yeah. Before yeah. Asami um, enters the scene, you see a young, very young, five six year old Japanese girl in a ballet le- leotard sitting alone in a dank room. Yeah. Yeah, move forward to the first shot that we see outside of the audition and the dates of Asami in that same room, but she's got herself something in a sack. <laughs> and she is sitting there, Sadako, ring style, hair over the face, becomes the classic J-horror trope. And that's all about saving face in Asian culture. She is sitting there waiting for the phone call. Uh, the phone rings, and then there's the first one of the very few jump scares in this film. What did you guys reckon? Are you on about, uh, you're on about where the bag jumps? Yes, the phone rings and oh. then suddenly the, the bag. It's great. Oh, it's fucking great. Yeah. I, I love every second of it. For a movie that doesn't start the body count until the last 20 minutes of the movie, not the real body count, like, yeah, I get it's you. pretty I get fucking you. impressive. That's a good that scare, a, yeah, and then the close-up, extreme close-up of her teeth, and you see her smile, a uh, netherworldly, almost demonic smile on her sure. at that point. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, okay, I'll carry on. I'll carry on. Da, 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 da. For four days, she sat waiting for that phone call. 
She answers, pretending that she never expected him to call. Uh, with the, oh, I never expected you to call. I am a Japanese demure female voice, yeah? Right. Uh, yep, yep, yep. After several dates, she agrees to accompany him to a seaside hotel where Ayama is smitten with Asami. He intends to propose marriage. I'm just putting this down to Japanese culture. Maybe that happens, yeah? That yeah. After it, a few it, dates, they propose. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't say. I mean... I'm I'm a foolish American. We do dumb shit out of uh, out of uh, impulse all the time. Uh, this seems like I don't know. It, it seems like most of this thing is done in a prim and proper way of their culture. I I couldn't say. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, that's not, maybe yeah. that's the deal. I don't know. I don't think it's that foreign though, because I mean, we got Las Vegas here, and people fucking get married there all the time. Like, it, it, we you yeah, do have true. a culture of <laughs> yeah. you just deciding to fucking yeah. get married if you want. No, that. yes, but that's based on a whim, whereas the Japanese culture is not based on a whim. Those motherfuckers are based on doing their goddamn homework and making sure that this is a forever thing. Like they. They don't play no fucking games when it comes to that shit. Over here, we're yeah, playing games it. all the time. It's that's like, it. yeah, that's man, it. I'm going to fucking, Elvis is going to marry me. It's that type of silliness. These motherfuckers yes. aren't playing that type of game. Did they smile one time when they talked about getting married? <laughs> no. Yeah. Not yeah. one. Yeah. I, I. He's smitten, and man. That, she's like, she's pulling those fucking sheets up, dude. He is like, oh yeah, we're getting married. We're totally getting married right now. Like as soon as he sees her fucking ankles, man, he's like mm -hmm, hot mm -hmm. to go. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, before we get to the seaside hotel, there's something I want to state though as well that she has said to him. Um. Oh, it was in the resume. I pointed it out in the resume. She says it again on a date. When I gave up ballet, uh, I had to die inside. It was a inner spiritual death. Yeah. Yes. When they go to the seaside hotel, apart from the little snippets of the guy in the sack, that's her sitting alone as a child. Right. Um, this is when it starts a depiction of Japanese reality starts to become more impressionistic based around the relationship of these two characters. Yeah. Uh, right. The colors, the stillness, she's sitting out, she's standing outside on the patio, perfectly still. Uh, the, there's coloring, there's digital coloring in the sky. It's going to an honoric dream state. Yeah. Um, right. Keeping in mind how much these people are into ghosts, yeah? Ghost culture. Um, it is so linked to their everyday mortal lives as well, yeah? Um, so the more he steps into her past, the ghosts of her past, the reality that we see presented by the film begins to morph and change at the stage, yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, Aomi intends to Aoma intends to propose marriage at the hotel. Asami reveals burn scars, thank you, Reverend, on her body. Before having sex, Asami demands that Ayami pledges his love to her and no one else. A deeply moved Ayami agrees. In the morning, Asami is nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, they did have sex. Yes. Uh, it's implied. I don't know. 
You know, when they roll up in the sheet, that's it. And then, and then he pulls it off and it's morning. I'm assuming they did actually right. a consonant. Once again, it's implied. It's mm, not It's there. implied. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Huge amounts of implication throughout. So we'll move on. Uh, but, 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 but. Now, she's nowhere to be found. This is in the morning. Yeah, basically, they've just decided yeah, to get and married. The, and then the concierge, dipped. concierge calls and says, hey, this broad left. Are you, yeah, are you leaving it. too? Yeah. Or yeah, someone's yeah, yeah, got yeah, yeah. fucking bill? And he does it very and, nicely and very Japanese. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. All the way through until the end. This is all very nice in Japanese all the way to yeah. the end. <laughs> well, except for the going into the past. Now, he wakes Everybody, up with a kind of... Even huh? then, even with the yeah. violence, everyone's so fucking polite. It blows me away. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's not like that down here either, bro. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, he wakes up with a kind of a headache as well, you know, like a kind of like a cluster headache or something as well from yeah. um, the implied consummation. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, now, he tries to track her down. This is where it turns into the mystery side of this uh, art horror, body horror, uh, part romantic <laughs> comedy, um, artistic annihilation. Now, uh, he tries to track it down using the res her resume, but as Yoshikawa warned, all of the contacts are dead ends. At the dance studio, now this is good, where she claimed to have trained, he finds a man with prosthetic, uh, with prosthetic feet. Now, what did we think of this guy, the old ballet teacher? Yeah? Um, yeah. I, I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was upset with him. I'm like, ah, yes. there's a problem here. I, he is I, very upsetting. As much as I like horror movies, they, I'm not talking personally. I'm talking personally. It, I anytime something has something to do with kids, I get I get bent out of shape. So I immediately was like, "This motherfucker." <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget where the first uh, time this happened in the film because this dips in and out of going into the past hallucinations. It does. <laughs> the film it really does so it's hard to you know unless you've seen it a hundred times um he is the one who puts the hot pokers on the on her inner thigh that she pulls up on the bed to show ayami uh, if you want to marry me check these out and you love only me and he doesn't realize the gravity uh when she says only me at this stage yeah yeah it's a yeah. it's a very monkey's paw type of thing that she's on about how do you mean Meaning, um, it's a uh, it's a it's a trick of the language. Meaning that she yeah, okay. when she says only me, she means very literally that there is yeah, no yeah, yeah. there is no interpretation that this this what my words are open for. This means yeah. only me. You yeah, you don't yeah. have you don't have anything thing let alone person outside me that you love mm -hmm. it's just me yes, that's and, what I and by the monkey that's why I, by the monkey's paw thing it's yeah. a turn of phrase that he didn't think he would have to clarify oh i got you i got you yes well um asami will certainly clarify it for ayami by the end <laughs> definitely um the old guy in the wheelchair the uh ballet music teacher was played by renji ishibashi he wasn't in the book that's a miike addition into the film 
Yeah. Oh, really? um, absolutely. Uh, because this guy likes exploitation and extremism as well. And he is very good at showing extremism to convey emotion or an emotional state scene, etc. So I thought it was a very Mike addition. Yeah. This, this old guy in yes, uh, yes. the wheelchair. Okay. Uh, taught, yes. Uh, ba, 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 sorry. Sorry. Get back to where I was. Okay, now he's got prosthetic feet. Keep that in mind. The bar where she claimed to work has been abandoned for a year following the murder and dismemberment of the uh, of, of the owner. A passerby tells Ayami that the police found three extra fingers, an extra ear, and an extra tongue when they recovered the body. Okay, now, <laughs> and there is a moment, some fantastic acting, because it's actually what someone would do if they saw this in front of them in real life, throws himself back up the wall, looks up at the guy going, are you real as well? Because he's seen a tongue <laughs> flapping around on, on the ground in front of him, uh, with I the love other that. little bits chopped off. Go. I love that hallucinatory shit. I love when we get into that, that realm. Yeah. And yeah. The, I, one of my favorite things about that scene was I'm like, they're filming this shit all crooked and your man that was passing by with a grocery bag is going, yeah, this was built 28 years ago. Basically, he's trying to say before the earthquake. It was built before then. And now this whole shit is tilted. So all the oh. blood is flying out the door. That's a good observation. I never thought about earthquakes with right. the building there as well. Uh, keeping in mind now, this is post the seaside resort, the proposition as well. Right. Talking about the ghosts going into her world of ghosts as well. And at the end, there is a Dutch tilt uh, to, to uh, one of the best bits of violence of all cinematic history. There is a Dutch tilt yes. there at the end as well. Yeah. Dutch uh, tilt. Uh, I, I forget about that term from time to time. Well done. Yeah. Um, listeners, Dutch Tilt, if you're not hip, MTV created it. Basically, you turn the air, uh, handheld at an angle. You just make it at a slightly obtuse uh, angle. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant, yes. Yeah, that is the Dutch Tilt. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, now, okay, that's three extra fingers, an extra ear and an extra tongue when they recovered the body. Ayami has hallucinations of the body pieces. While Meanwhile, Asami goes to Ayami's house. And now this is a point of view shot of uh, Ayami's in the house. It's her point of view shot, the only point of view shot in the whole thing, and finds a photo of his late wife, Ryuki. It says here, and other people have said it online as well, she becomes enraged. I didn't pick that up when she sees the picture of the dead wife. No. 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 I, I don't agree with that. No, I don't yeah, either, no. man. I think... I think... Go, Reverend. She... She's literally just taking in the landscape of what his life is. Like, I feel like she's picking up anything and everything and just kind of giving it a blase look. Like, it doesn't matter what anything else is in his life. She sees that he loves the sun. Oh, he may love this thing too. This other object, which is the other female wife. Exactly. But it's not even important to her. I don't feel like she becomes obsessed with the uh, image of the the dead wife, you know? No. I'm going to put it to you like this as well. I think that there's not even any instance of rage in the entire film. 
I don't think anyone's enraged. I think that the terror comes from the calm demeanor of all yes. of these people, villain yes. or otherwise. So again, yes, yeah, sorry. Said that, you're out of line. You're wrong. Sorry, don't know what to tell you. And again, this is me, Kane. Widescreen, neutral right. observation of Japan. Yeah, he's just trying to show Japan and how they relate to each other within this right. romantic context, if you will. And enra enragement is not a part of it. You're exactly right there, Commander. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, and uh, she drugs the liqueur, liqueur, though, because he is a whiskey fan. Uh, Ayami has been drinking whiskey each night when he comes home as well. Do you know what whiskey that is there? Because the Japanese are very well known for the whiskey. I mean, I, I, I did it. They didn't show it, but I mean, no. Centauri is. That's the one we can get out here. <laughs> mm. We'll discuss that with product placement uh, later on. Um, <clears throat> well, they did. <clears throat> to, to, to that effect, they didn't really. Did they really show? They everything no. that they show being drunk is in decanters. Yeah, it's in a decanter, yes. dude. It doesn't it's in a decanter. And Which, Nick, I think it's like Nikai or something, Nikki, or, that is the other main brand there. But they yeah, sell that shit at like 7 Eleven over in fucking Japan, dude. Like, yeah, they just. Well like okay. convenience store it's rad okay good to know good to know all right um but she drugs the the whiskey no doubt yeah. <laughs> she drugs the shit out of that whiskey now it says here a flashback flashback is not the right word to use in this film whatsoever let's say an hallucination shows that this or a vision shows that the sack in Asami's apartment contains a man missing both feet his tongue, one ear, and three fingers on one hand. It's that record store guy from Once Upon a Time. I think his name was Jimmy. Um, now, he's being kept as a pet, yeah? Um, moving on, moving on. Asami vomits into a dog dish and places it on the floor for the man because he has crawled out of the sack and is going, ah, meal, meal. Reverend, sorry, come on. C can we talk about this vomit in the bowl? Because uh, that's a fucking rat, dude. <laughs> Wait a minute. But here's what I found out today: <laughs> is that that was actual, actually, um, our our fucking homegirls. Uh, what is it? Uh, Ihe Sheena. Sheena, yeah. That is her actual vomit. She. She decided she was a method actress, actor. Yes, I don't want. Right. I don't want to do. I don't want to do uh, gender lines. But she decided she was a method actor, and at her insistence, she threw up in that motherfucking bowl and carried it over there. Whether or not your man is slurping up her vomit, I don't know. I really don't. But. The bowl that she carried over to him was absolutely her own vomit. Damn, man. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I, thank you, man. I did read that at the very start a couple of weeks ago, and it slipped my mind, so thank you for that. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I would say uh, that Jimmy, the pet in the sack, is drinking the actual vomit because Miike creates that kind of trust and that type of commitment with his productions as well. People want to go to that limit to please this man, yeah? I'll get into about his... Uh, sorry, after you. Now that I think about something, I, I, I'm sorry to derail you, but now that I think about oh, no. it, I think I just realized the goof in this movie. So 
that man had clearly, they showed his tongue had been cut out. But I saw his tongue drinking that bowl of vomit. I saw, no, 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 I it's have, like a... It's 100%. Ripper. And the sound that was made can't be made without a tongue. Ooh, the sound. <laughs> I kind of agree with you with the sound. I'm, Ripper, I, what do you well, reckon? It just dawned on me. I'm just saying. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm so you're not disagreeing. The continuity of the fact that this guy that's <laughs> slurping up vomit out of a bowl with a like a dog <sighs> actually didn't have a tongue at the time because it already got cut out. So there's no way he could have technically made that sound when he was slurping up vomit out of a fucking bowl that this shit just puked into. I'm sorry, but I'm going to leave that to artistic freedom. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I did And also <laughs> this Takesha, this fucking Mika motherfucker, he can have at it. I love this motherfucker. I'm just saying. And to <laughs> put it into the proper, um, to cast a proper idea about how this guy makes films. So some goofs are going to slip through because of this. This movie took three weeks two weeks longer than he usually takes to make a film. As of 2021, he has over 110 televised productions to his name. 110. Right. Two weeks usually to make a movie. And they're all good. <laughs> Some of them, he started yeah. off director video before this. It was Black uh, Shinke, Shinke Black Triad Society. That gave, made people saw that, oh, he can actually make this film. But this was his international breakout for a feature film as well because he was brought into this with Hideo Yamamoto uh, because they weren't known for horror. This Miike's specialty before this was Yakuza films, largely. Yeah. Yakuza films. He makes so many great Yakuza films as well. Um, so, some, uh, so some little slips are going to get through. Certainly, if you think about it, the film of this quality that has aged beautifully in 2021 as well, uh, made in three weeks is extraordinary. But I do hear you. The slurping, hmm, sound design. <laughs> um, it's a good eye, though, a good eye and uh, good attention paid. Okay, moving on, though. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, Aomi collapses from the drug. Okay, so that's so it seems to have skipped here. Uh, but, but it's gone from the dog dish guy eating it so you get the full idea the viewer the audience gets the full idea what exactly what asami does with her suitors yeah <laughs> you pretty much when he gets out of the sack it's crystal clear okay so ayami husband husband no nah, uh, the um potential uh Husband comes home, collapses from the drug that Asami put into the liquor because, of course, he comes home, drinks his whiskey. Now, it is, uh, it's, um, she comes in, he collapses. Uh, now, before he collapses, though, this is when it goes through the hallucination scene. Right. Now, this is where it really falls into art house territory. Before I go into it, what did you guys think of this? Yeah. Um, it for was the audience, basically, it goes back. There's just one moment. There's images in the past of her dancing as a small girl alone in the room. It'll cut to the music teacher holding um, the pokers, the red hot pokers, looking up at her. Asami, good girl. Cut uh, back to the guy drinking the vomit. It cuts back to their date scenes. It's skipping in time all over the place. Yeah. yeah. What did you guys reckon? That's very revelatory. Shit, man. <laughs> 
that's what I thought about it. I waited fucking 45, 50 minutes to get to fucking some fucked up shit in this movie. And yeah, it's some fucked up shit because it's a fucked up scene. And those are incense things that he has that he burns her with. Okay, and thank you. Yeah, thank it, you. it's fucking brutal, dude. Uh, Commander? Yeah, um, I think that, I mean, this is all very revelatory. It's it's just, it, it shows all of these back things that you weren't aware of before. It just, it's just a flood of information that makes it all make sense, kind of. Um, right. at least at least to a point and then there's even more information that makes it crazier but yes they you know it shows this little girl being abused it shows um mm-hmm. it shows this background story and and this uh, cycle of a abuse but b japanese uh culture not Japanese culture itself, but the male-dominated aspect of it um, comes through after he kind of comes to turn. He kind of comes to his awakening, literally awaken, wakes up from it, and goes, "What the fuck?" And then she breaks it down for. Now it's also two characters on display morally for the viewer as well, because you see all of Ayami's, uh, his indiscretions with the ex, the office worker, the secretary, yeah, uh, the fantasizing about the housekeeper, and even a little bit his uh, son's girlfriend, the college girlfriend as well. Right. Uh, you show the indiscretions in his own mind, his darker fantasies, if you will. But it also, and it, whilst at the same time, not exactly parallel because Miike is careful enough to cut this up like a collage so you don't really know who or where it's coming from. But you also see Asami's uh, indiscretions of murder, of course, as well. Uh, the guy in the sack goes back to the, the tongue flopping on the ground. And if you caught it, because it was super duper brief and the uh, the queers from um, uh, the Queer Horror Podcast, shout out, they pointed it out to me as well. She uh, kills a female as well. Right, which which makes it not entirely feminist, which is something I yeah I was gonna bring there that up go. later. There um, we go. The the queer the queer reading of it was that she was pansexual. Everything else was reduced to the level of object that she and only she may possess. She is being objectifying in her own horrific way, as he is in his cultural Japanese male way, traditional way, if you will. Does that make sense? Sure. So no, they pose sure. that she's pansexual. Yeah. So that, that's the queer reading of it. It's not feminism versus misogyny in this sense. Yeah. I'll leave that. Which is fair. That. No, that's fair because that's, that's awesome. And I love that take on mm. it. I never really so thought about I. it that way because. Yeah. 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 It makes it more universal than rather this is a Me Too movie done 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. No, right. right. Well, so yeah. used, I'm so used to seeing that in a slasher film and a horror film that, yeah, I probably just. And the ending of it is so fast. Like, it's just 10 seconds and 10 seconds of fucking cuts at, at certain points where you're like, okay, that's what happened. That's what I've been waiting an hour for. Oh my God. Did I miss? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's rapid yeah. And, um, and very, uh, it's so rapid paced that you're just taken aback by what he's trying to get across, 
with this whole the whole pretense that's led up to it the last 20 to 15 minutes of it is so quick and it's basically the entire movie in that yeah you know absolutely um you must dear listeners watch this more than once twice at least (laughs) twice at least um and just an insight an insight into the um editing style as well miike before he became a film director, he became a film director because he had to look after himself, survive, make money. He wanted to be a professional motorbike racer. Yeah, uh, He loved the idea that to be the top motorbike racer, you have to be highly skilled. You have to literally be number one. Anyone can direct. Yeah, He realizes himself he got kind of good at it started enjoying it but that's why he went into directing and he started off in tv for 10 years before so he's been around since the 80s doing stuff as well um he was a first ad in tv and it was just boom week by week production you know spitting them out spitting them out spitting them out that's why he could do feature films in three weeks of quality and has done over 110 including there is one that's been announced this year and he did two last year in a pandemic feature films yes guys nice yeah, so you see, you see what I mean? Editing is just, yeah, that's just a microcosm of this guy's ability as a producer. Um, but let's get to the good stuff. Ayomi Ayami comes home, he comes home, collapses from the drug. Asami injects him with a paralytic agent. It's not real, it's entirely fictional, made up. Don't try it, just like Fight Club, it's made up. That leaves his nerves alert. <laughs> and tortures him with needles so he's paralyzed all his nerves are awake but he can't make any noise out of his mouth hole the perfect toy for her to play with yeah and pulls out the needles Miike loves his needles this man has a torture device (laughs) from imprint to issue the color to this movie he adores his needles acupuncture needles to be specific Miike Mike likes scars a lot too. A lot. Cronenberg yes. <laughs> David. Cronenberg is also one of his favorite directors as well. So the body horror element, there's the uh, influence yeah. there. Yeah. That makes a metric ton of sense to me. Um, now she uh, uh, she tells him whilst she is pulling, while she's got the needles down on the ground, and let's not leave this bit out because this is where. Shine, the actress from Tokyo Gore Police, by the way, really, really, nice. boom. <laughs> this is where she really shines. Now, the whole kitty, 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 that's K-I-R-I, not kitty, kitty. <laughs> kitty, 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 kitty. It means deeper, 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 deeper. She, kitty, that kitty, was not kitty, written kitty, by kitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't written by anyone. This was, she was just whispering to herself on set one day, holding the needles, yeah? BK overheard her, went, you're a genius. We're putting that in. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that she says deeper, deeper, deeper as well, because this has gone from the macrocosm, the world view, or from a Japanese point of view, of human relationships, yeah, um, of trying to find the perfect generic female 
she's brought it all in. She's just made it into the microcosm, to the point of the needle. You are mine and mine only. Deeper, 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 kitty, 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 I will go. This, though, Those needles say everything about her in this film because this is her fulfilling her motivation. She's reaching her goal with this film all along because she's done this many times. There's the woman who owned the bar. There's the guy in the sack as well. She's come to this whole audition process and romantic, you know, journey with a clear intention in mind. Yeah. So who's worse, he or her? Again, it's Japan. Yeah. This is what Miyake is wanting to show. Okay. It's a sociological. Uh, it's a sociological telling. Is really yes, what he just, Yes. Just like she puts down the um, the blood sheet, the the, the, the drop sheet, yeah, um, the, the camera is wide, yeah, the camera is wide. Uh, it's voyeuristic. He puts us in the place, the position of the voyeurist in this film. Absolutely. Okay. Now, she inserts the needles into the skin below his eyes, saying deeper, deeper, deeper. The belly and the below the eyes, she says, are the most sensitive spots. She's going straight for the most sensitive in all of this. And then she pulls out the wire saw, uh, which I believe is piano wire. I mean, I always took that to be a garrote. I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what that is. Um, I mean, they make wire saws, dude, that you can just buy at the fucking lumber yard and they fucking yeah. cut trees down with those things. So, yeah. But... I mean, you can you can cut a tree down with the right gauge of piano wire too. You know, what I mean, it's, okay. Uh, that, um, there was shit, just that stuff that G. Gordon Liddy used to keep our country free from the hippies back in the sixties. Remember? <laughs> Um, I was curious, I may may have made it up in my mind as an association because she decapitates the music teacher whilst he's sitting at the piano. Oh, sure. Right, right. I I always, I kind of, to be honest with you, I made that connection as well, but I'm still not 100% sure. She's just very intent on letting everyone know how easily it cuts through bone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, that's just friction. I mean, yeah. I can use a garrote that's used traditionally for cheese to do the same thing. Just saying. Gotcha. 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 To be honest, um, I she... did not make that connection in any way whatsoever. I literally thought she just got it from a hardware store and we were just going for some gold. <laughs> well, that just <laughs> proves that uh, Mieke is much more of an auteur than I am myself. Uh she enjoys it though nonetheless it's a great gore moment as well because like my other top horror film which is this this one of my top horror films is my in my top two texas chainsaw massacre when she's cutting off the foot yeah you see it go in at the start and then cut away to her face and this is where you see for the first time full animation of her evil grins she is grinning with glee sadistic glee throughout this whole cutting off the foot process and then sorry i have to mark out here my favorite shot yeah in all of horror history boom to the outside of the building looking in through the window her with him on the ground yeah now this take breaks the film entirely. This is purely for the audience. It's not from any other character's perspective. It is for us. You dirty little voyeurs, you. Picks up the foot, throws it against the window, then 
bang, the thump against the window as it drops. And she just discards it like it's just, get out of my way, it's not working here. Like it's nothing, the man's foot. Um, And that's my favorite shot in all of horror. I absolutely adore that that, that shot right there. Side note, that, that and many of the other bits from this, but just this one scene, because this is the one scene where it gets into gore territory, where it gets into real violence. I mean, there's, sure. there's, there's other bits sure. of violence throughout the movie, but this is the epitome of violence that this film hits, and mm-hmm. a bunch of it was cut to make it R-rated for America. Which is yes. very because usually we care about sex, not violence. But mm, good point. Yes. This this fucking movie to make it an R-rated version, they cut out a shit ton of this scene. Uh needles, mm-hmm. the, the close-ups of the needles going in, um, the foot being discarded, and um Yeah, you don't get that thump in the R-rated version. No, and you know what? The other one was the needle with the part where she, the first part where she grabs his tongue and shoves the needle into it. That's yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we've all seen the real movie. It's fine. <laughs> yes, we've all seen the real movie. We've all seen the real movie. Absolutely. Um, in Britain, again, the United Kingdom does not like this movie. It is heavily cut, barely being shown. I think Sweden got their, you know, their cheese, their cheese in a twist, whatever it is there. And right. um, Australia, all good since it came out, not a problem. Uh, but I'll get to that in my, uh, you know, more on that in my Australian movie episode. The Wire saw he. Now she's about to go for the second foot of Ayami here, yeah. Uh, but then the son comes home. Uh, now he's got I dare you home I had to come home early she hears him and she runs to grab the mace I believe it's mace here she's got in there yep. I, I'm still unclear about that but I, that's what I assume it is I assume it's just mace yeah I assume yeah. it's mace um, now he walks in uh, she hides for a little bit this is you know, simplified he walks in sees dad again no loss of control of general emotions of the son there's no panic. You've talked about no one gets overly enraged. No one gets it's, overly panicked either. It, it, you're right. I think it's there, but it's very slight, and that is purposeful. I think that yes. I think that the son does show it, but the little amount that he shows it is elevated at the fact that there is literally no emotion shown in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. You know Japan. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. nobody shows anything, not the abuser, the old man yeah. in the wheelchair, not yeah. the, the quote-unquote yeah. villain, quote-unquote heroine, quote-unquote God knows what you want to call her. Okay. Uh, nobody uh, shows a ton of emotion other than the son. As a matter of fact, the son is the only one that's like, I met a girl. Oh, and she's super nice. Oh, by the way, your turn. Ha! And he bounces. Like... He's, he's literally the only been, relatable one. He's super mm-hmm. slight. And, like the emotions he shows are nowhere near what a normal person shows. However, he's the only one that shows them. If you notice every time, even early in the movie, when he goes, Hey, it's your turn to do the dishes. His father is just, it's from the back. Yeah. And he's just doesn't even move. 
Nothing. Hmm. The whole time. Everybody is very uh, not robotic. I almost said robotic, but everybody is very docile. You know what I mean? Yes, docile was the word. Thank hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. Mika said himself as well. The man that plays the son, who I, I, I apologize, I forgot his name and the name of his character, but that kid, he is the only one that shows any type of emotion. And if anyone's going to show it, it should probably be a teenager. Because teenagers are full of it. You could say perhaps he hasn't learned to control his emotions in the proper Japanese male way as of yet as well, perhaps. Um, But yeah, um, point being here as well, Asami does not like the sun because Ayami must only love her and only her. So that means there can be no sun. There can be Gangu or Gang the dog because unfortunately the poor dog met its, the poor uh, animal there met its demise at the start when she walks in to basically take out the husband. Yeah, when she comes into the house at the end, first victim is the dog Gangu. Yeah, unfortunately. My least favorite death. That, that was the one that bothered me the most. Yeah, <laughs> same, <laughs> same. Um, now, he's he runs upstairs. The son runs upstairs. She follows, yeah, macing, macing, macing. He's able to kick her in the chest. She does this uh, almost quite an amazing jump <laughs> down the stairs. Reverend. Can we talk about uh, that Commander? for a minute? Please that, do. That, that's the only, the only part of this film that I say is ridiculous. Uh, was it really appropriate to do the four-angle shot, repetitive shot of her falling down the stairs? Like, yo, man, like, let her fall down the stairs. Especially if they're going to do the thing they do afterwards, which I won't spoil. Yeah, but yeah. They showed it from three angles, three different times, like it was a diehard. And I'm just like, yeah, that seemed unnecessary to me. It was a little, um, it was a little Starship Troopers, perhaps, as is Verhoeven love coming through, because that's his favorite director, believe it or not, Paul Verhoeven. It's the only one. It's the only bit that took me out of the movie. It's the only. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Now the ending is interesting, though. Now Shige Hiko, that's the son, kicks her downstairs, breaking her neck. Uh, Ayama tells his son to call the police. Stares at the dying Asami. They're both looking at each other on the ground here, yeah? Uh, Asami and Ayami. Uh, Asami and Ayami. Now, she repeats what she said on one of their dates about her excitement on seeing her him again, that she didn't expect his call. What did you guys think of this? Terry? For an ending. I mean them being face to face like this I guess that's the ultimate ending of it I think the reference going back to them the dating because that is the whole section of that movie you know it's their dating period the audition and the dating period is like the second second act if you will right yeah sure yeah um and going back to that and referencing it, like, oh, I was just waiting. It's a setup. It was a setup the whole time in her mind. But then also he deserves it. So fuck him. There's no real hero in this film. <laughs> None whatsoever. You know, you're not really <laughs> None whatsoever. She she gets super violent, and I want to reference American cinema more because I 
that's why I grew up. She's not I spit on your grave. No. Like victim. So you're not really rooting for her, but you're definitely not rooting for him either. So I think that death at the end, when they're both looking at each other in the face, makes it the weird romantic comedy that it is. It's like literally a romantic comedy horror movie. We're going to set this up and you're going to audition. I mean, as much as like Japanese culture would allow and for Hiyashi to be able to do this, I think, yeah, it's, hey, does it uh, really matter who died at the end? Neither one of them were the hero. It's literally just an all play on the romantic comedy just as much as it is on a fucking horror film. In a genre where people are entirely, entirely expendable, absolutely, it doesn't matter who dies. Yeah. If the message gets across, it absolutely doesn't matter if the main character, side character, it doesn't matter who dies. And they both die at the end. They both die at the end. Right. Because he's a dick for trying to objectify women. But she's obviously a dick because she just fucking killed the dog. You know? So... (laughs) There's no hero in this film. So they die on the ground looking at each other. And the son is the only one that's the human character in the entire film. So we, we are... We finish the movie with him being like, oh my God, I just witnessed all this shit. And as an audience, we just witnessed all this. And we're like, wow, both of those people are dead. So the only real human aspect we get, we end the film with, you know? The only person that you connect with that you can even find any humanity in or feel bad for is basically the only real survivor, which is the son. Who's just an objectified fucking like viewer at that point because he's like hey dad maybe you should get a wife you know i'm kind of doing my own thing over here and then like he comes back into the situation and all of a sudden fucking all hell's breaking loose and he's like well fuck i'm gonna go call the cops because as a viewer and from him as a viewer we're like damn that's a fucked up relationship okay yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the he's the everyman in it. Yeah, if there was if there is to be one. Yeah, he um he he sees for us, if you will. Yeah, I do see that. Um, but that's not the last shot, though. You guys caught the very last shot before it hits the credits, rolls to the credits. Am I missing something? It is her as a child putting on her ballet shoes, focusing on yes. her wrapping the ribbons around the ankles. Her right. ankles. Yes, I again. did that. And we see her as a child at the start in the room by herself in her ballet leotard, and we see her at the very end putting on her ballet shoes, wrapping the ribbons around her feet, again as a child by herself in her ballet leotard, if that's the right word for a ballet costume. Um, that's fine. Got a little, That'll work. Yeah, okay. I got a little artistic uh, or kind of like a little artistic reading of that as well. It's uh, cyclical. Yeah, uh, it is. It's it ended where it began. Uh, you guys familiar with uh, listeners? I'm showing the uh, where's the camera? <laughs> the serpent devouring its own tail. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. 
her journey throughout can be seen as that from the self as a child going through the ego having to you know go through what she has to go through to get back to the self at the end certainly when it hits the seaside resort he has been brought into that spiritual cycle that world of ghosts of her living in the past and he becomes the victim he becomes another object of this cycle as well just throwing that out there a bit of Jungian a little Jungian analysis if you will I like this and now I feel like I need to get the American don't tread on me flag snake with done in the biting its own tail style that's not bad actually and then and then put my existence above it or something like that because apparently there has to be words for Americans <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, only, and then, only to prove to people that we can read. <laughs> That's why I have absolutely is, no words tattooed on myself because I, I can't like, read and I, I watch like movies all day. Of my tattoos are words. <laughs> um, and you guys, I'm not sure if you called the credits as well. Um, what does she say? Um, I want to. I. Um, I, uh, I want to be in control of my emotions. I want to be the one. Uh, is what's said in English in the credits throughout. So even the pop song, which is just like you know, yeah, there's an intensely violent manga or this type of film, and then suddenly there's a K-pop or J-pop song, and you're going, what the hell? Destroy the mood. But if you listen to the lyrics and the irony that is going on, that Mika sure. is playing with in their pop song. With what you've just seen, it works yeah. perfectly. Works perfectly. Yeah. No, Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Please, that's me rambling a lot about the synopsis, throwing everything in while I go. What do you guys think? Please speak. I love ev- I love everything about this movie. I like uh, you use the words I was going to use. I love that this is a slow burn. Uh, yeah. It's it's it takes the entirety of the movie to get to the last 15 minutes to show real violence. And Mm. that violence is legendary. It's unmatched on certain levels. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I I love every second of this movie. I like the, I mean, you would look at, if you watched a B movie and no one emoted, you would say, well, it's just a shitty movie. We watch this movie and you can see that it's tactful. It's purposeful. These motherfuckers did this on purpose. Uh, uh, whether it was uh, Takashi or not, these motherfuckers did this on purpose and they did it very, very well. This lack of emotion leading up to this level of brutality. It's fucking mm. phenomenal important to say as well that it was producer that told Miike to be a man and play out the final scene do all of the violence show everything as well right um, he was going to dance around he was going to dance around that last scene a little bit yes. and and the producer told him to fucking make it happen <laughs> and that's and that's a shoot that is facts that has been quoted i don't know who the producer is uh, but it was part of Miike's team as well. And Miike is an artist with everything. People, uh, the guy doesn't speak English, he has no intention of doing so. He doesn't care what the West <laughs> thinks either. Uh, he has no intention of finding out either, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and when it, he has been interviewed, I was able to find a few interviews, translated, of course. 
he leaves himself open to the universe and inspiration. He's one of those type of artists. He will not answer any right. answer clearly or specifically. Um, it's basically, it's just how I felt at the time. I listened to the muse and she spoke. And in this case, the muse was the producer or even uh, Shine with her deeper, deeper, kitty, 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 kitty. Yeah, he brings that all in. He's very open to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Reverend, what do you think? Reverend, please. Uh, it's a good film. I really like this film. I feel like it might be a little too smart for me. <laughs> it takes a long time to get there. And I understand that there's the stillness of her, the stillness of the actress and her like very planned out, plotted out revenge or not even revenge. It's just that her stillness and the demure part of like the Japanese society and stuff like that. And I get that, but man, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And all I saw was like a dude rolling around in a sack. And then I had to wait for the final fucking kill scene. And I understand that. And that happens in a lot of art films. Which is cool. And I understand that fucking Miyake, he's like, he's like a Kubrick, right? Fucking Kubrick's yeah. got fucking sci-fi. Yeah. He's got pure violence. Yeah. He has horror. He has drama. He has all these things. And Miyake has that too with his entire catalog. You know, um, Gozu is fucking super like, <sighs> it's like that's super hallucinatory, you know? And yeah, then man. other stuff that's yeah. very uh, serious and just like cop drama at the same time. But he's he's a master at every single thing he does. I feel like that is probably the best comparison that I can come out to is with Kubrick. But yeah. I don't yeah. like Kubrick movies because I get bored, man. I just want to see somebody die. I'm watching a horror movie. Oh, see, I was going to make that comparison to Kubrick earlier. I mean, there is tons of just individual shots. There's at least four or five I can think of right now in this movie that I'm like, that motherfucker was worshiping at the altar of Kubrick when he did it. The, the yeah. spot where the fucking, where the blinds come up and the chair's right in the middle. Um, the part where the fucking, uh, uh, what's his name, Iomi, goes and sits in the chair. All that shit. It's very Kubricky. All the sure. yep. of the fucking foot against the wall and hitting the ground is fucking. Yes. It's like it's the elevator's opening, and it's beautifully shot and it's excellently fucking directed. You know, but my favorite part of this film is that every time a Japanese person answers the phone, no matter how serious of a situation it is, they say, "Mushi, mushi." And I love the fact that they say, eh, mushy, mushy. It's just, you know, so awesome. I also did notice the fucking implied consummation where you don't know if he actually got laid when she comes out and is like, you need to love over only me. And then he wakes up the next morning. It's a flash. It's just a quick yeah. edit, the next scene of the concierge being like, yeah, she took off, man. 
you don't know if he got laid. And I don't mm. think that he knows either. You know? Right. Just like right. And then and then at the end he decided to marry her. of even their dating situation that you don't know how many dates they actually went on. Because at one point it seems like there's all kinds of people and it's a very bustling atmosphere, but then all of a sudden within 30 seconds, they're sitting by themselves and it's like obvious that they're alone, you know, but they're still yeah. wearing the same things. There's a lot of time jumps that are artistic in this film and yeah. I love it. It's beautiful. I'm just probably not smart enough to understand it because there's not mm. enough people dying. Those time jumps, I still feel are due to Kubrick. All that shit is very Kubrickian. Like the way they're shot, the way, even the way the cuts are done to change time. It's all very Kubrickian. How all of a sudden, like remember the last scene in The Shining? Not the last scene, but the last ballroom scene in The Shining, right? right. Mm -hmm. That scene where they go back and forth between her being a little girl and petting the captive like a dog and all, all those little things, like jumping back and forth between this time warp of things, that's very, that's very Kubrickian. Right. Um, very I good, gentlemen. Very good. Largely an homage on that level, but I do think that this is mm. entirely an original piece. Not to yeah. take away from Mika, like this motherfucker is a genius. I hear absolutely everything you're saying and co-sign 100% Reverend Commander with the comparisons to Kubrick. It is very curious though because he never mentions Kubrick and his influences as well. Uh, he, as I said before, he cited Starship Troopers as his favorite film. He, admire, he admires Akira Kurosawa. Uh, Hideo Gosha, who looks like an old school director who did a lot of early Yakuza films, yeah, in the 60s, 50s, 60s. Uh, David Lynch, surprise, surprise. Uh, that makes Frodo a lot of sense. Yeah, all the Davids. A sense for the all the Davids. Yep. Um, David Cronenberg, you've got the body horror stuff there. Uh, Lynch, you have the hallucinatory scene as well. That's surrealism, you know, 101 right there. Um, but yeah, no, Paul Verhoeven is his favorite. But I hear you with the Kubrick. I don't know if it was just never came uh, up. He's loath to admit where his secret recipe comes from. I'll tell you what I think is the like. It, it's not. It's not anything more than just the insane level of symmetry that is so apparent. Ooh. That that Ooh. is the most Kubrickian thing of all earth. And so seeing all these scenes where it is so deliberately slow and so deliberately symmetrical, that's what I'm talking about. There's no one you get that from than Stanley Kubrick. You don't get that from anyone else. Yeah. Not before. Okay. Not, not Kurosawa. Okay. I love Kurosawa. I would never disrespect that man. What I'm telling you is you do not get that level of sinister symmetry yeah. from anyone other than Stanley Kubrick. You don't. So whether Mike is conscious of it or not, that's where it comes from, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, whether he knows it or not, and we, he and I can have a conversation in broken English and we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, 
Speaking of conversations in broken English, uh, I saw an interview with Eli Roth, who just wants to fuck the UK bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like real bad man crush. Yeah. Hostile? Um, with, he made Hostel after seeing Audition. Yeah. He watched this film. He went away and made Hostel. Uh, Guilme del Toro was there with the interview as well. He was just like, don't ask me to speak. Do you see who we are in the room with? Who the fuck am I? Ask this man the questions. Yeah. Um, it was very respectful. Obviously, um, you know, very, adored him a lot. Quentin Tarantino loves this guy as well. Um, Mike did a Django film with him in the 2000s, 2007. Mm-hmm. I forget the name, but I don't want to give Tarantino too much shine. But he is pretty much one of the main, if not a supporting uh, supporting lead actor in the film as well. Um, Audition is one of Quentin Tarantino's famous, favorite films. Rob Zombie said that Audition is one of the creepiest films he has ever seen in his life. Slash from Guns N' Roses absolutely loves it. The Soska sisters used it as influence mm-hmm. for American Mary, which I can see a hundred percent. That's getting done on this show at some point. I love Fantastic. that. So do I. That's the American Mary is absolutely. Uh, it was it wasn't well received in Japan when it came out because it was poor distribution. It was shown in very smaller theaters, little art house movie theaters, if you will. It made it big overseas in America. You guys and then it came back. This film. And then it came back and then people learned who the fuck T- uh, Takeshi Miike is, yeah? And right. then not soon right. after that, Echi the Killer hit the, hit, the, um, hit the scene and my God, their Man Bites Pod, we must do Echi the Killer at some point. Uh, it was, it's on my list of things. I wrote it down on my own list. Um, yeah. But yeah. you know what I was surprised to find out? I didn't know this before we did this. I've seen both movies a few times i honestly thought audition was done after itchy the killer because i think that audition is a better movie um i think it's it's the way it's shot um the tactfulness i feel like it's a better flick um but itchy the killer is brilliant in its own right we're gonna have to get into that at some point yeah i think Ichi was uh released here in america before audition was man I think Ichi actually oh. out on DVD and hit video markets, quote unquote, before uh, Audition did. And you then once right. it okay. fucking took off, like Audition was available. Maybe, maybe culturally, you know? if subculturally, even if not uh, technically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was definitely a subculture thing. You guys have seen Ichi the Killer. It's a fucking. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yo, we, we were the only ones that saw Ichi the Killer. Like, I don't know yeah. anybody outside of me, Terry. Seriously, bro. And no, no joke. And like the handful of people that we piled around with, I don't know anybody that watched that movie. My wife has never seen it. Like, it's, oh. It, it's, oh, it, it's a neat fucking film. <laughs> I'm welling I'm up. I'm not going to let my right wife pot. even watch <laughs> Eating the Killer. That, it's all... <laughs> I'm on the right podcast. People who have seen Itchy the Killer. I'm welling up here. That's fantastic. Um, Before we get into our gimmicks, a quick burn of trivia. Uh, Miike, born on the outskirts of Osaka. A lot of this was shot in Osaka. That is audition. Uh, Miike employs stillness in his films. Wide shots, human interaction, sweeping camera, 
uh, motion for his action scenes, which is really good as well. He often ends his films in ambiguous, bizarre ways. This film is a definite example of that. Strong sense of, uh, strong sense of childhood nostalgia is present in almost all of his films, both normal, uh, dead or alive too, uh, colon birds, and perverse visitor Q. Oh my goodness, have you people seen visitor Q? I'm not hip to this one. That is his most perverse film. This That is one where he throws all rules out the window and just goes to town. It's Eli Roth's favorite. I have to ask you something because we've been over this and, and I don't want to hear it from any of our listeners, even though we haven't released anything yet. I don't want to hear it. Is this one of those movies that's like a Serbian film where it has a lot to do with kids? No, 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 no. Okay. No. I can it's hang. nothing like that. If, if it's not a lot of kid stuff, like no, I don't well with no, that. No, no, no. No, Mika's not like that. Um, Visitor Q is a is an individual who helps out the domestic sphere. Got problems in your family, in your home, in your domicile? Visitor Q will come along and sort you out. What he has to do first to be allowed into the house, he has to hit you in the head with a brick. He hits someone in the head oh. with a brick. He's sitting at the dinner table. Next scene, because that's how you allow visitor Q into the house. I like that. Um, and then I'll just leave. And then I'll just leave it from there. Because if you want surrealism, absurdity, this is his most funny, absurd film as well. Visitor Q is amazing. Reverend, Reverend, man of your sensibilities, visitor Q, please. I, I please. like it. I like it, man. Uh, um, I, I won't repeat my trivia here. Sorry, as I did before. But the one last thing. He was slated to direct his first English film, The Outsider, 2018, yeah, uh, with Tom Hardy, of all people, yeah? Okay. Uh, but, 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 but as the lead, Hardy dropped out. Uh, he had other commitments or just, I, I, don't, I actually don't know why he dropped out, don't care. Um, but the recasting messed with Mike's schedule. That's a feature film every two weeks, and he bounced back to Bounce back to Japan will probably never, ever happen again. <laughs> that was the one chance that the English speakers of the world could have this guy directing an English film. Uh, the bit, you know, Hollywood could nab him. They messed up. Um, and thank God the American remake, no offense, of Audition never happened in 20 because it was slated to happen in 2014. I heard about that. And I was, I, I honestly, I saw articles that were old that talked about it. I'm like, did this even happen? I'm not interested on any level and I won't watch it, but it, so it never happened. It never happened. Well, the la that was the last words I could find online. The last notices for were from 2014, seven years ago, Hollywood has moved on and a pandemic has happened since then. I can't see it happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Please. I can't see it happening. <laughs> not this film, just not this one. One missed call. He directed the Japanese original. Made it big, the remake in America. Fine. It's fine. Just not audition. But I'm done with the film. Is there any final words before we move on to the gimmicks? I love it. I love this fucking movie. Um, not a gore fest. Like you said, like we defined what this was at the beginning. It's this is an art house film. So you have to be ready to watch a film. But yeah, it's fucking brilliant. You just have to have the patience for it. Reverend, final words? It, it's a beautiful film. It, you got to wait for it, but it, it pays off. It's well worth a wait. And honestly, the 
the cinematography in it is worth it in itself. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully directed. Just the frame of the camera and the pacing of the film, even though it's slow, it's brilliantly done. Nyanke is a genius of his craft, you know? Yeah. There's no yeah. one else I can really even think to compare to Kubrick. Yet that is the only person I can really compare Nyanke to. Yeah. That's real good work, people. Because I could only find things like, say, hard candy. Uh, you know, there's some American comparisons in terms of similar films, if you will. American Mary's a big one, absolutely. Um, Hostel, yeah, I can see how this influenced torture porn, but that wasn't the point of it. No, but is, I do that's see selling, emotion. That's selling me a case short. That's so selling him. That is short. selling me a case so short. Agree. Yeah. Because this is influenced, this is cited as influencing J horror and torture porn. Yeah. Hostile. Mm. But Eli Roth is not subtle. Mike is subtle. Yeah. Uh, Correct. Torture porn, the idea of extreme pain to bring out some sort of feeling, to feel something. You don't need to be extreme about it to have the emotions come across. It wasn't, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I like Hostel, but it's not Audition. He, he, didn't, he, he yeah. didn't get it right. He didn't make Audition yeah. for America. Anyway, beside the point, beside the point, definitely watch it. And there, listeners, now that you've um, heard us break it down, if you can piece it together better than we can or we've missed something, let us know. Um, that's my bit. Shall we get into Jabber Royale? Jabber yeah. Royale. What's Jabber Royale? You, you got this one. I'm excited. I do have it. I do have it. Okay. We have the music teacher, the ballet oh. teacher in the wheelchair. He has no feet. We know where his feet have gone by this stage, if you're still listening to us, <laughs> who took his feet away. Mm-hmm. He crawls along the ground. I'll leave that all up to you. Versus the pet in the sack, Jimmy, the, the music agent. Oh. No tongue, oh. missing teeth. <laughs> What do you reckon? We have the guy in the wheelchair, guy in the sack. Have at it. Oh, that's good. I'm going to jump in. On a level of pure atrophy versus versus non-atrophy, guy in the wheelchair, as much as I want him to lose more than anybody, I think he's got it because your man in the sack is so subservient and so he's so broken psychologically and nutritionally and physically he's he's not he's not a threat to anybody he's not a threat to anybody all right it's shown in the fact that that when she's a little girl she could pet his head he's harmless he's a pet now yeah. But your man in the fucking wheelchair is the one that made the girl that made the guy in the sack. So your man in the wheelchair is going to win. Your man in the wheelchair is going to win. They're both spineless fucking freaks that are they're <laughs> incapable of taking anyone producing this podcast right now. But they are still, I think that your man in the wheelchair can handle your man in the sack. I'm going with the music teacher too, man. I'm going with the guy, yeah, the guy in the wheelchair 
He's definitely, you know, he's the fucked up one. He's the reason for this entire fucking situation, honestly, man. So yeah, I'm going bit. with that entirely. Yeah. Little bit. What do you think, yeah. Baron? Nice, nice work, Reverend. Nice work, Commander. Uh, before I say who I think, I'll throw in one little variant. The entire character makeup of the guy on the sack is hunger he is hungry he wants food that is his whole life his whole motivation i think if they were left in say the audition room of the film itself that potentially if he was left to be made hungry like a, a fighting dog yeah uh and he was able to get the music teacher out of the chair he might actually devour him. It might take a damn long ass time. Um, but that's all he has in his mind and his whole being is to consume the meal. I don't know. That's true. He's filled with ravenous hunger. You're not wrong. I, 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 I can't be mad at this theory, but I feel like at face value of these two yep. people from the movie, I still got to go music teacher, even though I want him to lose. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because the guy on the sack is the victim in all of this as well. He is made less than human at this stage. He has become an animal, yeah. Right. Whilst the music teacher's instincts was impulses uh, would be considered animalistic. That's actually a nice mirroring going on there. There's mirroring of people throughout this, Asami, Ayami being the main one. Uh, but yeah, it's the music teacher. It's the old man in the wheelchair. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. But the guy in the sack would devour Tony entirely. I'm, I'm yeah. for some reason. Yes. Yeah. So he's not the biggest bitch. He doesn't win the bitch bracket, but the old man in the wheelchair <laughs> wins this round. Yeah. Definitely. Right. To Tony can't hang. No, Tony can't. No. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Tony's in the bitch bracket forever. Okay, so please, um, if you could make a note of that there, Commander, I believe you've been doing that, of who um, won this route. Nice. Okay, and Reverend, you've joined us back into the uh, parish here again. What is your favourite bit of violence from Takeshi Miike's audition? Oh, definitely the, the thigh burning. It's just, oh. it, it's it's not my favourite, but it's just yeah. fucked up, man. The, yeah. the incense burning the thighs is just the most fucked up shit ever. Oh, hang on. It doesn't get much worse than that. I mean, like, the torture that he goes through doesn't compare to her having to deal with this music teacher coming at her with fucking hot incense and giving her those original burns. Like, no matter what she does to him, it's not going to compare to her initial trauma. And I think that that has a lot to do with it, you know? It's hard to argue. It's it's the most extreme of the violence, I think, as far as emotional, uh, just yeah. general trauma. I think it's it's the heaviest. Yeah. You're not wrong with that. Yeah, it's not definitely the heaviest. And after that, I can't even pick out something because other than that, it's just mainly him getting tortured and like you know, it's just. I don't know. That just stands out. That's what this film does to me. You know, it's funny you like, say that because my very favorite bit of violence is where she takes the fucking head off of the piano teacher. It's 
It's absolutely my favorite, but I like the fact I like seeing the man that did this go down. Yeah. Uh, we've we've been over this. You're going to see this. This is probably going to be a running thing. I like when people that hurt children get hurt. It makes me happy. So this motherfucker that burned her thighs, when he gets his fucking head lopped off, with the fucking garrote that you cut cheese with, I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. And compared to the final mutilation scene, it's very showy. It's one for the audience as well, yeah? It mm. shows her doing the whole thing. It's, you know, she she has her evil one-liners, her revenge one-liners before she actually takes off the head as well. It's definitely one for the audience. It doesn't go back to the subtle interplay of the of the sexes like the mutilation scene, yeah? Um, so nice choice. Nice choice, absolutely. My bit of violence... I marked out about it before, specifically the shot from outside of the building, looking in, her throwing the foot, the thump falling onto the floor, the bloodstain left. It's my favorite Good bit on. of violence in all time. I challenge you there, gentlemen, Commander, Reverend, to create, to find a better bit of violence for me that I prefer, because that is my favorite of all time so far in cinematic history at 44 years old. Of all time? Of that's all your favorite? Time. Yes, that's my favorite wow. shot in horror. That's one of my favorite shots in cinema. Definitely my favorite shot in horror. Damn. Fair enough. I challenge okay. accepted. Okay. Beautiful. I love it. Beautiful. Um, I think I'm good. I think I've covered. I think I've covered a lot. Definitely. I think we've covered a lot. I'm really happy how this turned out. I was a little anxious about it. Big movie to tackle as well. If you really break it down, what's happening and what it's talking about. Um, we will return to Miike. He is the Kubrick of Japan, or Kubrick is the Miike of America, however you want to work that. <laughs> but um, definitely return to Miike. Thank you there, Reverend and Commander, for bearing with me as I got through it, but I think we all did it pretty well. Man Bites Pod, Man Bites Pod kills it again. Indeed. We did, man. I love it, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> signing out. We still have no idea how to do that. <laughs> oh. Well, if we're done, then I got to say uh, Oyama's fucking system in his living room. It's like the fucking nicest shit ever. Do you got because it's all in the living room. There's like three or four scenes where they're in the living room with the sun. Then she ends up in the living room and all the action happens. Dude, he's got built-in Sansu speakers, man. Those things are fucking, like, custom-made 1970s Japan, dude. Yeah, I'm dying to see that manga collection, too, because I can see it in the background of his office. Right? Where does he actually work? Is it just a manga office? I couldn't understand that either. Yeah, I don't know where he works. All they ever say is that he built his company and Mm. he's done well with it. That's all they say. But then there's just yeah. everywhere behind it. And I don't know, man. Okay. Fuck it. Go ahead. Okay, so um, yeah, Man Pites Pod. Uh, what are we? What are we doing next? There we go. <laughs> next episode, Terry. Tell them what we're doing, Mister Reverend. Episode, we are doing George A. Romero's The Crazies, the original one. There we go. We're going back to America. This fucking. Yep. We're going like back to Vietnam time. Bitches. Yeah. Vietnam time. So if you haven't seen it, go away and watch it. 
for our next episode. Hopefully that works out in podcast time, land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope you Commander. have learned that we do spoilers at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Should be pretty damn obvious. <laughs> Bye now. Um, I'm just going to shut up until we do the next episode. I'm going to All go right. down here. <laughs> oh, good fight. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.